It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Trey, hope you had a fantastic holiday season, a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, things went well on my end. Um, no one called the police, which is kind of my barometer for family get-togethers, whether or not they turn out well, is whether or not law enforcement ever gets involved, and and they did not this year. So hope y'all also had a fantastic end to 2022 and that 2023 is um, going to be a great year for everyone, including Mary Langston. How are you? I hope you had a great holiday. Yes, sir. I did. And I second everything that you said. You second my saying that <laughs> a successful family gathering is when the cops aren't called. Exactly. I figured you would pull that part out. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I do second that everyone has a has had a happy new year so far and a great holiday. I know the holidays can be hard for some people, but I do hope it was a beautiful holiday season for everyone. Well, I do too. And you're right. I mean, it's one of those kind of great dichotomies is what can bring so much joy on one hand is also a reminder of the people that are not there. Um, that's just, but, you know, to feel grief or sorrow or pain is to be alive. And uh, and that's good because when you can't feel those anymore, then um, that's even worse. So as bad as pain is, it's still an acknowledgement um, that you're that you're still here. Mm-hmm. And life in itself is a gift. I think so. Um, I think so. Were there moments when I was watching the officiating in some of the bowl games that I, I began to question that? There were. Yeah, <laughs> there were. Uh, but I'm that's sure. a whole other conversation that we won't get into unless somebody's asking me about it. <laughs> I, 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 I wish someone would ask me about the officiating in some of the bowl games, but mm. but they they probably have not. So we'll see what's on people's minds. All right. Well, we'll get started. We have a lot of great questions today. There is a lot on people's minds. So we'll get started with Allison in South Carolina and we'll start start with sports. She writes, as a Baylor alum and as a Gamecock, who are you pulling for in the upcoming national championship game next week? Well, I have a lot of respect for TCU, uh, what they've done this season. Uh, they played great against Michigan. They, uh, they beat Baylor uh, on a last second field goal. I pull for Baylor, obviously, because I went there. I pull for them in all sports. Um, But I also pull for South Carolina, even though I didn't go there undergrad. I just grew up going to the games. You know, when you live in South Carolina, very rarely do people ask you about Baylor. Um, The state is divided between Clemson and South Carolina. And we don't have a pro team. So I, I, I think about South Carolina athletics a lot more than I do 
Baylor athletics because it's what I'm surrounded by. Um, but beyond that, I mean, neither one of those teams are in the national championship. So I pull for the Southeastern Conference, and that means Georgia. Um, I do have a lot of friends that went there. I like their coach, Kirby Smart. I mean, I like Sonny Dykes at TCU too, but, you know, obviously followed Kirby Smart when he was a coach at Alabama. Mainly, I hope it's a good game. I hope it's a safe game, particularly in light of – uh, what happened uh, Monday night in an NFL game? Just number one, hope it's a safe game. Um, I hope it's a game where the players dictate the outcome and you know, the referees do not needlessly insert themselves into the game. Now, look, it, it's a hard job. Refereeing is a hard, hard job. But I, I just, I don't know. People don't tune in to see the referees. They tune in to see good athletes compete. Um, so, but that's a whole nother thing. So, congratulations to all four teams who made it, the two who won the playoffs. Um, I'll be pulling for the Southeastern Conference team. That's just, you know, people, you know, will either agree or disagree with that. But I, 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 I'm going to pull for them. And then I'm going to wake up Tuesday morning and start pulling for the South Carolina Gamecocks all over again. Well, that sounds like a good plan. And thank you, Allison, for your question. Our next question is from Joseph. He writes, are we past the point of being able to pay down the debt? Well, Joseph, to answer that question means we have to know what that entails. And um, I think people know this, but it's worth repeating. A deficit is when you spend more than what you bring in on an annual basis in the the, the debt repertoire represents the cumulative sum of years of running a deficit. So we have a deficit every year. And then because we have that deficit every year, it accumulates into what we call a debt. So what drives our annual deficit? Because until you can get in balance for a year, you're never going to pay down the debt. And Joseph is asking about paying down the debt, which is the cumulative amount that we owe over years and years and years. Well, you 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 got to you got to start by having a balanced budget for a year so you can quit digging the hole. Mm. Uh, the things most often discussed or things I'm asked about the most may very well need to be cut or eliminated or reduced or passed on to the states, but foreign aid or departments um, that people may not like, whether it's the Department of Commerce, the Department of Education, that is not what drives our deficit. And therefore, it is not what drives our debt. Now, we can have a whole separate conversation about whether or not people think those entities or programs or institutions or line items are too big, too small, just right. That's a, that's a wonderful conversation to have, and we should. But when we begin to conflate, and it was done when I was there for those eight years, people would stop me and say, you know, we've got to balance the budget. We've got to stop sending foreign aid to fill in the blank. Okay, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to stop sending foreign aid to fill in the blank. Maybe, maybe we don't need to stop, but maybe we do. But that is not going to fix your deficit or your debt. In fact, and this is what floored people. I, I think it floored them to the point where the number and the concept is so staggering 
They, they didn't want to talk about it anymore. You could zero out, zero out what we call discretionary spending, which is the foreign aid and the Department of Justice and the Department of Commerce and all the grants and all of that. Zero discretionary spending out. And you still have a deficit every year. So let that sink in. Get rid of everything that you think is causing us to have a deficit and therefore a debt. All of it. And if you're not addressing what we call mandatory spending, you're never going to eliminate the deficit or eliminate the debt. And I'm sure somebody out there is saying, well, you haven't talked about revenue at all. You haven't talked about raising taxes. Okay. I mean, I'm, I don't think raising taxes is a good idea. I actually think you know, paying 30-something percent of what you make uh, is enough. Um, I don't know the Bible like you do, Mary Langston, but I'm pretty sure 10% is all God asked for. Mm-hmm. But but yet there's some rates that are in the 30s. So even if even if that argument prevailed, okay, we need to really, really, really raise taxes. You cannot raise taxes enough to overcome the deficit. So you're not going to get rid of it by cutting whatever program you don't like. You're not going to get rid of it by, quote, you know, uh, I used to love it when President Obama would say everybody needs to pay their fair share as if there's some consensus on what the word fair means. I mean, 35 percent is a lot to be paying in. So even if you don't think it is, even if you think, ah, they ought to be paying 50 or 75, you cannot tax your way out of where we are. The only way to do it is to tackle the one thing that people don't want to tackle, which is mandatory spending and mandatory spending. Medicare, Social Security, uh, interest on the debt. You don't have a choice but to pay interest on the debt. Um, Retirement for people uh, that have earned it, including military. So when I say mandatory spending, that's what I mean. I mean promises that we have made. So the only way to get the deficit and the debt in check is to address mandatory spending. And then we run into this problem, but we did make promises. We made promises to people who paid into Social Security. We made promises to people who paid into Medicare. And good countries and good governments keep their promises. So the answer to that is yes, they do, period. So we need to tell the next generation, which would be yours, Mary Langston, we need to tell that generation, or maybe even the tail end of mine, that things are going to be different in the future. And we're going to give you time to plan for it. And you know, the, the, the maximum uh, salary or maximum income for Social Security may be higher. You may have to pay more for Medicare. I mean, at least tell people what the right issue issues are so they can debate whether or not they're willing to do it. You cannot change the, 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 the rules of the game for people who are currently receiving those benefits. It's just not fair or right to do it. It's not even fair or right to do it to people who are on the precipice of getting it. It's not their fault the government overpromised. That's not their fault. So unless you are willing to do something about Social Security or Medicare, you are never, never, never going to solve the deficit and the debt, which is why I found it so 
amusing, but not in a funny way. When my former colleagues would propose a balanced budget for this coming year. Mm. I mean, and if you were to go, I, I've done it and I did it in the classroom not that long ago. I asked all the kids in the class, how many of you want us to have a balanced budget? And all the hands go up. Of course, who doesn't want a balanced budget? Until you realize what you have to do to current beneficiaries, current people who are receiving Social Security and Medicare. You have to completely renegotiate the terms of that social contract. And, and, and then all of a sudden you have two competing virtues, keeping your word and fiscal responsibility. So which prevails in that competition? So what we've settled on is say, okay, we're going to forecast in the future that we're going to change things and we will hope to get back into balance in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. That's kind of where we are, but even that is rife with political risk. And, and it will always be rife with political risk until we, the people who are not doing the voting, say, yes, we know it was going to be painful. We do. We know that. We know that it's going to kind of change the rules for us. But we're still going to do it because it is the responsible right thing to do. Until that happens, you're never going to address the deficit, much less the debt. I'm sure all that was great news and offered a, a dose of hope for people, but it's the truth. So mm -hmm. I usually take, you know, find some hope in the truth. You are good at that. And thank you for doing that, Trey. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Our um, last question is from Mike, and he writes, if asked, would you consider being the FBI director or the U.S. Attorney General? Uh, Mike, uh, I won't be asked. Um, so hopefully that'll put your mind at ease some, um, if I had a friend who was president and he or she called me to have that conversation, um, I would tell them what I have actually uh, said to others in the past, which is you need to pick someone else. You, I, I think what is best for our country, not what is best for me. Cause I, I loved working in the criminal justice system. I loved it. So it was my favorite job, but this is not about what my favorite job is, is about what's best for the country. You should pick someone with no political background, someone with a straight law enforcement background, because it's politics and this intersection of politics and the law that, in my judgment, has gotten us where we are with those two entities right now. So regardless of whether or not I could put aside politics and, and I could. I, I know that I could, but I'm not sure I could convince others that I could. And and there's there's both a reality and a perception component to our justice system. So in reality, could I be fair? Yes. Could I convince the skeptics and critics that I was being fair? Probably not. So we will not survive without a justice system that is not both respected and worthy of respect. The FBI director should not be that hard. 
it just should not be that we give him or her, uh, it's been all him so far. I think we give him a 10 year gig, 10 years. So it should not be hard to keep politics out of the FBI. Uh, but I'll be, uh, let's go with darned. I'll be darned if uh, they haven't managed to botch that over the last six to eight years. The Department of Justice, quite frankly, uh, or DO, or uh, Maine Justice, the prosecutors, actually the FBI is part of the Department of Justice, but the prosecutors, that's a little dicier. And it's dicier for this reason. Let's assume that Tim Scott ran for president and won. And so Tim has ideas. I want my attorney general to focus on violent crime. I want him or her to focus on certain other crimes. That doesn't mean you don't pay attention to the others, but I mean, everyone has priorities. And if you can't do it all, then you have to prioritize. And so let's assume that Tim's priority was violent crime. Uh, let's assume it was uh, terrorism and violent crime and um, um, and the, and drug trafficking. Let's assume those were his three highest priorities. That does not mean that he doesn't care about environmental crime. <laughs> that doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about voting rights. It means that he is going to put a focus somewhere because you have to. And he's earned the right because he's won the presidency. He's earned the right to say, you know what, I'm going to advocate for an end to mandatory minimum prison sentences, because I think they're unfair. I'm going to advocate for reforms in our prison system. He's earned the right because he's become the president. He has not earned the right to call and say, hey, there's somebody who really calls me a lot of trouble back in Charleston. Can you pull their tax returns and see whether or not they can be indicted for anything? Being the president does, does not include that. Mm-hmm. So, the AG, it is naive to think that the AG um, is totally immune from politics. It is, it is naive uh, to a fault to believe that. That's not true with the FBI. You, you should believe that the FBI sees facts and facts alone. They don't, but, but you should expect that. The AG is a little bit dicier. So... If if uh, someone calls again and says, are you interested in either of these jobs? Uh, my answer would be yes. Um, but for a thousand reasons, uh, this is why you should pick someone else. And I'll give you some names of people that I think are worth you talking to. Um, that said, um, about the only thing thing that I can think of that I would be maybe lured back to is uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office here in South Carolina, um, because that's not national and you're not dealing with you're you're taking orders, not giving orders. And in politics really should have nothing to do with the U.S. Attorney's Office in any district. So I that's a long answer to say what I should have just said at the beginning. I really, really loved being a prosecutor. I, I miss the feeling you get in a courtroom, whereas I do not miss the feeling I got in Congress at all. Mm. And you have to have people in place that understand how to resist political temptation, which means I think there's an argument to be made that you should pick people 
who are past whatever political ambitions they may have had. Uh, I wouldn't take a political office right now if it was waiting outside my office on me. I certainly wouldn't run for it. It's liberating to to have conquered that ambition. So I'd be careful who I pick for those jobs. But I'd, I want us to get back to the facts and the facts alone. And I am tired of those departments being either used or perceived, legitimately perceived as being used for political ends. Um, both of those entities, in my judgment, have been significantly damaged. Um, that said, in conclusion, it's not just the attorney general who needs to understand how vital this role is to our country. The president, whoever he or she is, needs to understand that, too. Mm. So don't pick a political person. And then whoever you pick, don't ask that person to get involved in politics yourself. So I like to use Tim Scott as my example because I, there's just no way in the world Tim Scott would ever pick up the phone and say, first of all, he prays for his enemies. He doesn't want to indict them. He prays for them, which I think there's maybe a verse in the Bible about that. I'm not for sure. But, mm. but in any event, the danger of Tim Scott saying, hey, I want to use the attorney general to go after my political enemies or reward my political friends, the risk of that is zero. So the AG needs to be kind of above the fray, but the president needs to be above the fray too. You don't need to pick a wingman. You don't need to pick a friend. You don't need to pick, you need to pick someone that works for a blindfolded woman holding a set of scales. That's who you need to pick. Well, thank you so much, Trey. That was well said. And thank you all for your questions. Well, it was lengthily said, so, <laughs> and I'll close with what I used to tell my wife. I've heard good sermons and I've heard long sermons, but I've never heard a good long sermon. <laughs> and that was a good, <laughs> that was a long answer to a relatively short question. But as you can tell, I do care about that issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you answered it. Well, Mary Langston, I hope you have a great week. I hope your 2023 uh, continues off to a fantastic start. And uh, God willing, the folks at Fox Podcast um, don't get rid of me in the next week. And I, and I can talk <laughs> to you again this time next week. The same for you. And I hope they don't. And I'm looking forward to next week. All right. You take care of yourself and we'll see you all next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.